Um, I don't know if you're aware, uh, lots of different things happening all around. Um, uh, young man Carson that uh, came into Calvary Chapel, Bangor, went through the School of Ministry there, went to uh, San Jose to uh, serve as an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel there. He and his senior pastor are being sued uh, by um, the city and by the um, courts for continuing to hold services like we do here, uh, where if you want to social distance, you can. Um, you don't have to. If you want to wear masks, you can, but you don't have to. Um, you know, and we, we aren't diminishing or keeping people from being here. You know, I'm told that last week there were people here that uh, took pictures and uh, people came to me afterwards and said, oh, man, there's people in the service are taking pictures of us all without our masks on. And do you hear the fear in your hearts? Okay, Because maybe they were impressed and blessed. Our culture has moved the direction of fear. And I just want to caution you against that. Scotland has closed all of its churches. Done. No more church in Scotland because of this. And the persecution is going to continue to grow. Uh, there's much more severe persecution ahead of us worldwide. If you're not in this faith because you believe, get out now. Why are you here? You know, if, you're, if your life isn't committed to Christ, if you're not willing to die and live for this faith, then you're playing the game. And you might as well get real about it now. You wouldn't want your name on those registries later as someone who had been attending, right? You need to be sincere in your faith. I think you all are. But consider what's ahead of you. It's a great deal more persecution. It's not going to get less and less. We're not going to fix this, right? There isn't a political answer to this. Not at all. The only answer we have is Christ. You know, it's, uh, you get to read history and see how the persecution grew and how leftist, Marxist, communist cultures always crushed and oppressed and suppressed faith and religion. Always. So. Balaam, Numbers chapter 23, strange prophet and the grand mix of things. He does speak on behalf of the Lord, but he doesn't follow the Lord with his life. He's not a man who's submitted to the Lord. He's going to lead the nation of Israel astray into sexual sin before it's all over. He's going to advise these kings as to how they can cause the nation of Israel to stumble into sin and thereby offend God and break their relationship with God. But he speaks accurately on behalf of God. What a weird character in the midst of all of the scripture. So King Balak has hired him, and we come to the point where now he's supposed to prophesy. Balak thinks that he's a man who has the ability, like a, some kind of witch or something, to pronounce a curse, and then that curse will come true. The assessment is that Balaam apparently has a reputation and a history of being a man who, when he speaks of a person or speaks of a group of people or a situation, what he says comes true, be it good or bad. So thereby, King Balak and others 
view him as someone who's capable of making those things take place. And really all he's doing is seeing what their future is going to be and then relaying it uh, to the person who desires him to give the uh, you know fortune telling, as we might say. Then Balaam said to Balak, Balaam the prophet, Balak the king, Build seven altars for me here. Prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. <clears throat> so Balaam has a certain understanding of sacrificing to God, but uh, his understanding is deeply flawed. So he's got some rituals that he goes through. In verse 2, And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered an on each altar, a bull and a ram. We don't have any indication that Balaam is doing this out of some kind of obedience to God's command. It's just the ritual that he has prescribed here. Notice even in verse 3 where he says, perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. It sounds a lot like what Daniel the prophet says when he interprets the, the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and otherwise, he says, I don't have any power to interpret dreams. I don't have any power to deliver prophecy. I inquire of the Lord, and the Lord is the one who can tell us these things. So I just want to all the way through this make sure you understand there isn't a genuineness to this man's faith. Okay, He sounds a lot like Daniel. He sounds a lot like the genuine, sincere, real prophets we see throughout the scripture, but his wickedness is revealed by the time we get to the end of this. So, you know, his supposed humility and his supposed offerings shouldn't be misinterpreted. Verse 5, then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering he and all the princes of Moab. Now that's going to become significant by the end of this series of prophecies that are given that the other princes of this region are present. So it's not just Balak that is, you know, paying Balaam and wanting to see this done. <laughs> all of the leadership of the pagan nations have gathered together to try and have this curse pronounced upon Israel. Verse 7, and he took up his oracle, this is Balaam, and quote, Balak the king of Moab has brought me to Aram from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel, end quote. You know, so he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and you know for certain that Balak doesn't have a fear of God. So as Balaam begins to speak on behalf of God, this message is straight at Balak. But he's not receiving it properly. He, he's really looking at 
you know, Balaam as being his employee, you know, someone who he's paid and now you do my bidding. And now the voice of the Lord comes back. We want to be careful about that mindset, right? We, we come to church. We go to places where we are supposed to hear from the Lord and we sometimes develop a callous attitude like, well, it's just this guy speaking. This is the word of God. And, and where we see our nation right now and where we see the world right now is because it has lost the fear of God. There's a need for fear, right? You know, people act like, oh, that's an inappropriate thing. You should never be afraid of God. He's loving and soft and gentle. And he also holds our lives in his hands and eternal judgment in his hands. Yes, he is our loving Heavenly Father if we are his child, if we have surrendered to him. If not, then we are a child of Satan, and there is nothing but a fiery judgment waiting for anyone who hasn't embraced God as their king and their Lord. So none of these people receive this message properly. God is saying to Balak, I know why you're here. You've hired Balaam to come down here and try and curse my people. Verse 8, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Uh, that last statement sort of is a, a statement of humility, that, that Israel isn't comparing themselves to the other nations at this point. They're not looking at it like, oh, you know, we're, we're becoming great and we're becoming influential and, and someday we'll have our own cities and someday, you know, we'll have our power and our influence. They, they have a humility before God, understanding that they were bound in slavery and God came and freed them out of that. And they're simply following God's plan and really not that well, are they? They're falling into sin. They're falling into rebellion. They've had all kinds of problems. So, so they haven't really raised their head up in any kind of self-recognition at this point. That's God's statement. They're a humble people. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Verse 10. Or number one-fourth of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. We envy the world sometimes. We see, you know, these people who are so wealthy and so influential who seem to get away with so much. And their lives seem to be so blessed. It doesn't take very much to look past that fake front and see they're miserable. <laughs> you see their money and their wealth and then you see, oh, well, yeah, they're divorced and their kids are crazy. And look at all the nonsense that's going on there. You know, the tabloids are full of the antics of their ungodly lifestyles. And, you know, think about what King Asa said, right? He said, you know, I'd almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked until I went into the house of the Lord and saw their end, their judgment, their eternity. Once he realized their eternity, you know, this humble people here, homeless, tent-dwelling you know, wanderers in the wilderness. Their, their eternity, their end is in the presence of God. You could envy someone who has that kind of an end. You know, the, the 
entrance into the presence of our king. You know, enter into my rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're all longing for. Here, you know, we could only hope to have our end be like theirs. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done? I took you to curse my enemies. And you could rephrase it as, I told you to curse my enemies. And look, you have blessed them bountifully. Again, he's just saying what the Lord is telling him to say. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? I can only be obedient to God and say the things that I'm supposed to say. Oh, I wish that the pulpits were full of that around the world. Men who would seek the Holy Spirit, study his word, and then stand faithfully in the pulpit and deliver God's word, painful as it might be. You know, it, it is very unpopular to preach God's word to a world that's living in rebellion to God's word. It's much better to stand and say the things that need to be said. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, the top of Pisgah, built seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. They're really working their way through the herds and the flocks right now. You know, this, uh, they got to feed all of these people and also perform all of these sacrifices. What a waste. For what? To try and succeed themselves and diminish God's people. Think about the resources that are commonly being wasted in order to try and thwart what God has said will be the end. You know, read the book of Revelation and understand how all of this that we're experiencing turns out in the finality of things. And look at how much humanity is investing in rebelling against God's plan. It's a remarkable thing to see this. <coughs> Something of note is all of the pagan nations at this time had a mindset that their gods were regional gods. As, as odd as that sounds to describe, uh, the people that lived in the mountains were afraid to come out of the mountains and go down into the plains because they worshipped the gods of the mountains and had the mentality that their god controlled that environment and if they served and blessed him or you know her then that god would be pleased with them and so you didn't you know if you lived in the plains you didn't go up into the mountains because you worshiped the god of the plains or if you were you know a seafaring people then you worshiped the gods of the ocean the seas or the lakes and you stayed around those regions so they have this mentality of it being a regional thing and so this is partly why we see balak saying we need to go to a different location you know, we're, we're, we're trying to perform this from the, the wrong location. So let's go to someplace else where you'll be capable of hearing from, almost as though he's saying, you know, from that God. We, we must, you must be dialed into the wrong frequency. We'll just get you to another location where the God of that region will speak to you and you'll be able to perform the curses I've asked you to. Verse 15, 
And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him. There he was standing by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab were with him. So there we hear of them again. Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Now, I also want to point out uh, the L, capital L-O-R-D, where uh, all of the letters are capitalized. <laughs> it may look like it's lowercase in your Bible, but if you look at it, they're smaller capitalized letter. That's the name of God, Y-H-W-H, uh, improperly translated to be Jehovah, which, you know, by all means, use that name. There's nothing wrong with it. The translation of Jesus is inaccurate. In an English term, it would be better translated to say Joshua. And today, if we use the uh, you know the actual Middle Eastern Hebrew accent, it would perhaps would be Yeshua uh, to speak of him correctly. But just know that that's the name of God. So uh, you know he's here. Both Balak and Balaam are knowing that they're communicating with Yahweh the God of Israel. Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. So God again addressed, you know, addressing him directly. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said and he will not do, or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So I think that this is actually one of the strongest points of present-day application. Uh, so many people come into Christianity with very warped sense of what Christianity is, what the Bible is, who God is, who Jesus is. I just listening to a commentator uh, on an entirely different subject uh, from a Hindu belief system in India, and uh, he was saying Christians have three gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a total misunderstanding. It's an outside view of our belief in God, right? You know, you are body, soul, and spirit, but you are one being, right? Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three parts of one being. They are all God, each one equally God. Your body is 100% you. Your soul is 100% you. Your spirit is 100% you. And, and they are very distinctly different at the same time, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's not the body, soul, and spirit of God. It's entirely different. We're made in the image of God, like unto. We reflect the character of God. Here, excuse me, <clears throat> this statement, is God a man that he should lie? You know, can he change his mind when it says, can he repent? Can he, can he change how he's thinking? Absolutely not. He, he knows the end from the beginning. You know, people say, well, God was going to do this, but then he changed his mind. Well, no, he didn't because he knew in the end he was going to do that. 
So his presentation may have made us all think one thing about him, but the end result was what he intended all along the way. It's very difficult for us to understand the character of God because we view him from the earthly sense. What I mean by this is people come into Christianity thinking that God is like unto man. You ask people, you know, are you a believer? You believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. But what do you think about God? Well, when I think about God, I think of him more like, and then they describe something that's much more human than it is characteristically God. We want to be very careful of that. By saying such things, we, we reveal that we don't know God at all, right? <clears throat> I uh, had an occasion years ago where I met a man. Uh, I was actually putting a bid in for a contract. And when I told him I was part of Calvary Chapel, oh, Calvary Chapel, Ken Graves, I know all about that guy. And he starts on this long, hate-filled rant about Ken. I just told him I go to Calvary Chapel and Ken Graves is my pastor, and he decides that he needs to, you know, badmouth my pastor. But anyway, and uh, yeah, I let him finish. He went all the way through it. Lori was with me. She was kind of like jaw dropped, listening to this guy. And we get all done, and I said, "Clearly, you don't know Ken Graves." And he starts to say, "Well, yes," and I said, "No, you don't." And I went point by point through what he said and corrected all of the garbage. He was completely wrong. He had been around Ken when Ken was in his youth attending the same church this man did, but he completely misunderstood Ken's environment, his circumstances, and all that life has developed in my pastor's life to bring him into the ministry where he is today. And he's telling me, oh, he was all strung out on drugs. He was like, nope, never. You know, when I confront him with, you know, you've been telling people this stuff? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, you know, why do you... Well, he went to Teen Challenge. Yeah, he went to Teen Challenge in order to study the ministry and learn residential discipleship so that he could get out and do that in other people's lives. He didn't go there because his life was messed up. And I'm not making a big point about Ken and my pastor as much as it sounds like that. Because the point is a lot of people come into Christianity thinking they know God. You know how you're going to find out who God is, is by getting to know him, spending time with him in prayer, seeking his Holy Spirit, asking his spirit to speak to you, studying his word, learning his character. We don't want to take what other people have said, especially when we can, right? I mean, what if you were going to the Balaam school of ministry? No, there's plenty of false teachers out there, you guys who have developed massive worldwide followings, like Balaam, right? He's got all the princes of Moab attending his church right now. You know, national leaders are, are learning from this man what, what they think the character of God is. They're all completely off base. Be careful about this. God is correcting that. Verse 21 says, the Lord speaking of Israel, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Notice they don't have a king right now, right? The shout of the king that's amongst them is, sure, it's going to be Saul and David and then all of the lineage that follows, but it's speaking of Jesus. There's the shout of a king uh, that's 
among them. <coughs> God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Um, when the Lord says he doesn't observe any iniquity or wickedness in Israel, I'm kind of you know flabbergasted by that. Like He could almost ask God, like, have you not been paying attention? Like These people have been incredibly wicked. They're right from the beginning, right? Moses goes up to receive the law, comes down. Everybody's engaged in open and flagrant sin. Why hasn't God observed wickedness? Because he chooses to forget, right? He chooses to not remember. He doesn't hold it. Why? Because they've sought his forgiveness. They've asked God to wipe the slate clean, and he does. So God can say of them, there's no wickedness in them. Why? Because I've cleansed them. Right, you know, uh, my my wife found this little quote. It says, "Boy, noun, a noise covered with dirt." Right, you know, any of us that have sons or grandsons, right? They get filthy, rotten, dirty, and completely ridiculous, and you want to just throttle them sometimes. But, man, don't they thrill your heart also? Aren't, aren't they you know, some of the greatest joy, your children, that you ever have? You know why? Because you don't dwell on the iniquity. You don't dwell on the failure. You don't dwell on the sin. You dwell on the love that is in the relationship. And, and that's a, a characteristic wonder. That is stated here. A truth about God's character. Yeah, they're screw-ups, but boy, don't I love them. That's just a wonderful thing here. The Lord is making this confession. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rise like lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. You know, lions are formidable and uh, very serious. And the Lord goes on to speak of them. So as much as humility is part of their current existence, the Lord is also speaking of their strength and their splendor that is to come. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Why couldn't you have just kept your mouth shut? You know, Because in his mind, he's thinking that what Balaam is saying is bringing the blessing to Israel, and all that's really happening is, you know, Balaam is, as we've said several times now, confessing the blessing that the Lord has already placed upon them. So Balaam answered Balak, said, Did I not tell you, saying, All that the Lord speaks, that I must do, or that I must speak? Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come. I will take you to another place. So this, this whole geography issue that he's dealing with, he's, he's still hung up on that. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balaam did as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Roll right into chapter 24, 
Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek the use of sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. So uh, the sorcery spoken of here is some practice of divination, some ritual that he goes through that uh, causes him to be able to have this understanding. On this occasion, <clears throat> he takes a different approach, and it may be that he's trying to hear things differently. His whole goal, Balaam's whole goal, is the paycheck. So he's trying to do the bidding of his master. Then he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, meaning spiritually opened. Um, if you've ever wondered about that red dot on the forehead of the Hindus in the Indian and uh, Eastern cultures, uh, they place that there as a symbol that they are spiritual and it is what they would describe as their third eye, meaning their spiritual eye. And that's sort of what Balaam is saying here, that his eyes are spiritually you know, open and he's, he's capable of seeing. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down his, with eyes wide open. And it does seem to mean that when the vision comes upon him, he collapses. Now, I want to make a point here because there is the false practice within Christianity of what much of the church refers to as being slain in the spirit, where they insist that the power of God hits them and knocks them down, and uh, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's not recorded anywhere in the scripture as happening. The few who are brave enough to point out, well, Paul uh, the apostle, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was slain in the spirit. Very true. Uh, he was a murderer on his way to murder Christians when God confronted him and flattened him to the ground. And when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they, he said, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied and said, I am more than 600 of them were flattened to the ground. Murderers on their way to murder Jesus. All through the scripture, those that get bowled over by the power of God are people that are looking to murder or bring harm to God's people. The church uh, taking up that behavior and encouraging the body of Christ to do the same is really ill-fated. That's the wrong approach. We do see people falling down before the presence of God, but they do it by their own power, their own will, and their own volition, and they go down face first. They go to their knees and lie on the ground, overwhelmed with the power of the holiness that is in front of them. Several of the prophets do that in front of angels. When they see an angel, they just go down, and the angels always pick them up and say, don't do that. You're, you're worshiping me. You can only worship God. I'm here to deliver a message, and you're not supposed to worship me. So keep in mind that while this statement is here, you know, he falls down with eyes wide open. It does seem to mean that he's bowled over. It would actually give us an indication that he's on the wrong side of the message. 
you know, God shoving him to the ground for this strange approach. How lovely are your tents. So here's the prophecy. Oh, Jacob, your dwellings. Oh, Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag. <laughs> you know, he's got the kings of the region here. Some of them have already been defeated, and his kingdom shall be exalted. So quite a glorious prophecy continuing in 8. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blesses he who blesses you and curses he who curses you. I had an occasion years ago. I was uh, hanging cable for um, what is what spectrum today. It was uh, Adelphia at the time. But um, I had... Uh, gone through the fence into an entryway and uh, was going to hang the cable on the back of the house. And I round the corner and there is an absolutely huge pit bull lying on the ground, sound asleep, like two and a half feet away from me. You know, you, you know that thing where you get like, like that white hot prickle all over your body and you just break out in sweat like instantly. And you just back away as well as you can. Go out, close and lock the gate. Just... Frightening to come upon, you know, a beast that could rend you to pieces. You know, you, you don't want to mess with a lion or a lioness. You suddenly find yourself in the presence of a sleeping lion. Back up slow and quiet. And, and this is the prophecy that comes from Balaam. You know, Balak is thinking, oh, these poor tent-dwelling Bedouins, we need to just throttle them. We need God's curse, fire from heaven, destroy them. And the Lord says, well, they're like a sleeping lion. You, you want to go ahead and disturb them, touch them, then you're going to have to deal with the repercussions, really, of rousing me in the process. You're going to have to have what comes from it. Blessed is he who blesses you, curses he who curses you you know broken bones pierced with arrows this is not the prophecy that Balak was looking for at all Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam verse 10 and he struck his hands together Balak said to Balaam I called you to curse my enemies and look you have bountifully blessed them these three times now therefore flee to your place and I said I will greatly honor you but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to you, messengers, whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord? In that case, Balaam's wiser than a lot of ministers today. I can't, I can't get outside the parameters of what God's telling me to say. I have to speak. Uh, with an honesty, or do good or do bad, of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now, indeed, 
I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. You want to hear the real story? You want to hear the prophecy that God has given me about you, Balak? Let me tell you the whole thing. So he took up his oracle and said the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. Again, that's the spiritual aspect. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. This is apparently part of his business card or his credentials somehow. Seems to be the quote and subtitle of his ministry. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of of the city. Speaking of God, but more distinctly, Jesus and what is to come through the kingdom of our great king. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Can you see these guys sort of staggering back with offense, right? You know, they've got that attitude like, who do you think you are? We hired you. You're supposed to be here doing our bidding. And now you're blessing our enemies and you're standing here cursing us as the ones who hired you. Then he looked at the Kenites and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive. Great prophecy of the Lord and the fulfillment of the nation of Israel in their midst and the destructions of the Kenites that will take place. Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber and shall Amalek until he perishes. So even the distinction of the invasions that were to come upon them. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Um, I've shared with you before that there are people within Christianity that have this mindset that, you know, there are spiritual forces around us and against us that we have to be very careful of and cautious of. I've heard people say, oh, you know, I went back, visited my hometown. That is such a dark place. Well, okay. Like any place. You know, I, I, I hear people come you know, from inner cities up here and they say, yeah, well, you don't have the ghetto like we do. Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. I'll take you to a few trailer parks and show you exactly what I'm talking about. We don't have high rises the way they do. In the, well, you don't have the drug addiction the way we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we really do. you got a million people on the east side of your city Right? We got a million point four in the entire state. We got the same percentages. You know, Philadelphia isn't darker than Trenton, Maine. We got the same problems. 
You know, oh, that, you know, the, the things that go on there, especially wicked, especially dark. Same as here. There isn't a greater force against us, right? John told us, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit within us. Oh, well, you know, there's witches there. There's Satanists there. So what? They're on the losing team. Have we not figured that out yet? Right? We already have the trophy. Our king already won it. The game is already over. We're, we're already on the awarded side of things. Proverbs tells us later in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. You know, if people want to say terrible things to you or about you when they are unfounded, there's no problem. Let them say whatever they're going to say. They don't hold any power over our king. There isn't any power over the God of Israel. Now, I'm going to try to move forward into 25 because that's not really the end of Balaam. You can write next to Numbers 25, verse 1, Numbers 31, verse 16, where it says, Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam, there's the punchline, to trespass against the Lord in the incidents of Peor. There was a plague among the congregation of Israel. What we're about to read, Balaam, the scripture is revealing to us, gave these kings this counsel, and this is how they brought down Israel. So they hire Balaam to come out and speak against the nation of Israel, and all he can say is good stuff. He can't pronounce curse. But there is a curse he can bring upon the nation of Israel, sexual sin. And that's what he introduces, 25 verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Remember the princes of Moab that were all gathered together with Balak? Balaam gives them advice and says, send your prostitutes, the gals who hire themselves out, down to Israel. And they'll commit adultery with them. And they'll take their idols and tell the men that by committing adultery with them, they're also participating in idolatry. God will be offended with the nation of Israel because of their idolatry and their adultery. And the judgment of the Lord will, you don't have to curse them. They'll curse themselves. What a commentary. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their God and the people ate and bowed down to their God. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord, out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal Peor. Whoever's under your authority, Whoever's under your influence, if they have committed this adultery and this idolatry, I want them put to death. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses 
in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This guy brings this Midianite prostitute out to introduce her to other men right in front of Moses and the leadership of Israel close enough that it could be described as being right in front of the tabernacle. No fear of God. Completely calloused heart. Unconcerned about the consequences that might come. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. This isn't just a few guys messing around. Balaam's counsel quickly takes deep root amongst the entire nation of Israel. And so we see, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Phineas take this javelin, and the way it's described is they had immediately gone into the tent and engaged themselves in this intercourse, and he comes in and when one stroke pierces them both right through to the ground. The point, as severe as it is, is it's going to kill us all. If we don't bring a stop to this, it's going to kill us all. Oh, the church has to wear masks. The church has to stop meeting together. The church can't sing, right? Scotland, as I said, just shut the churches down all together. Look, many of us in this room have already had that illness, and we've recovered from the physical illness. But I'll tell you, there's a plague in the church today. And it's wiping the church out spiritually. And it is sexual sin, and it is idolatry. Prominently, the idolatry takes the form of the worship of money. Materialism, possessions. We want to be very, very cautious. Very, very cautious about the flippancy of our hearts. About the cavalier attitude towards sin. And it is the proper church leader who will take the word of God and plunge it straight through the hearts of anyone who's engaged in that so that they could die to their flesh in order to live for Christ. Are we not called to crucify our own flesh? Did Christ not tell us, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and you have to deny yourself? And follow me daily. Here we have this physical example of what takes place. 24,000. Verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so they I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant 
of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Atonement? What was the atonement? Right? Atonement is a sacrifice. What was the atonement that he made? It was a sacrifice of two human lives. He was willing to take that zeal to the nth degree in order that there would be purity. That's going to stand out in your family, right? This blessing that comes from the Lord of his priesthood and the peace of the Lord being upon him and his family for eternity, when you've got that kind of zeal in your life, it will affect those that follow you. You'll bless them in the process. Uh, please, please don't go kill anybody. I mean, the scriptures, don't kill yourself, right? Put to death the things of sin in your life. Don't hesitate to thrust the sword of God's word right through somebody else's life. Because it's love that will do that. Love. Love that prevents the destruction that follows. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman. Wouldn't we like to just keep that secret? Like, why do we have to proclaim this? The point is, you can be known for good or bad. You get to choose that. Right? Right? I'd much rather my name be associated with the likes of Phineas. Right? Than to be known for my failures and how I led others into failure. His name was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. The name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kazbai, the daughter of Zer. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian, both cultural leaders. I think it's part of the reason that God allowed for them to be made an example. People will say, oh, I'm not much of a leader. Really? Yes, you are. Because if you're taking that apathetic approach, then everyone who's following you is taking the same ap apathetic approach. Um, you know, lackadaisical approach to everything. If your life is Eeyore, oh, not much of a Christian, just kind of, you know. Everybody you're following, you're doing the same thing. You are a leader. Especially if you're a child of God. Consider where you're leading. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them. For they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, his, their sister who was killed in the day the plague because of Peor. Be an example, you know, the, the world. Um, politics and all that's going on right now, commonly people ask me questions regarding that. And one of the first things I will say is I cannot vote for anyone or encourage anyone else to vote for someone who kills children. You got all your other political issues, whatever. We can have discussions regarding all of those social injustices and all of that nonsense. But a lot of what's going on within especially the Democratic Party is the promotion of the use of abortion as a form of birth control. One and a half million children every year in America alone. Have you found the uh, abortion clock online? 
number of abortions that are happening every single minute. The millions, more than 65 million children in America. Man, what if they were all paying into Social Security? Huh? We probably wouldn't have to automate factories if we had people working, living, educating, teaching, loving, raising, rearing, worshiping. We're a murderous people. And it's a big reason as to why our nation is experiencing the judgment it is currently experiencing. It's a big reason. There's lots of other reasons. We, we lead the world in all vices. I don't know if you're aware of that. And we, and we send it all over the world, right? More alcoholism in the United States of America than anywhere else in the world. And we promote it everywhere else we go. Drug abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse, pornography, human trafficking, you know, murder, where we've gone mad. We were the number one producer of Bibles, distributor of Bibles, and senders of missionaries worldwide 50 years ago. Where did it all go? Where did it all go? We've lost the fear of God. This nation can be summarized in the attitude of Balak and the conduct of Balaam. We in this room need to be people who have allowed our heart to be thrust through with the sword of God's word, that it would bring us to an end spiritually, that we would no longer live for ourselves. When Paul said, for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That was a commentary on the fact that Paul's every day was consumed with the purposes of Christ. He wasn't living for himself. He was living for his king. May we be the same. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are ever grateful for your grace and your loving consideration of us as a people. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Help us to walk closely with you in a sincerity of heart that cannot be replaced. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.